Welcome to Western Hills Podcast. We're in a series where we start out with a whine. Right? And I, I mean a real just, do I have to? And I loved it because last week, if you were here, I had everybody say this together in their most whiny voice. And guess what? We were successful. <laughs> it wasn't that hard because we all have that in us of... Do, do I have to do this? Is this required of me? Is this what's expected of me? And we talked about the fact that perhaps as a, as a teacher, you've heard those words when preparing for a test. As a coach, you've heard those words as, um, as you prepare a team to, to play the game. Or as a parent, you hear those words every single day. Do I have to? And then we come to church. Then we come to following Jesus. And it's real easy to carry that same mindset over in here and say, okay, what's, just give me the requirements. What's, what's the bottom line? Tell me what's going to be on the final because I really don't want to waste my time with anything else. And so we start asking the same kind of question, do I have to? And so we're into a series where it would be really easy to take a set of teachings that comes from the New Testament that's known as the one another passages or the two each other passages where God describes our relationships and how they should interact with each other and then say, yeah, but, but do I have to? Is that required? And what's important to stay from the beginning is if you're saying, is it required for God to love you? No. These things that we're talking about, in no way do you curry God's favor. Do you get him to pay more attention to you because you live this way? But because God created you and he wired you and he knows exactly how you operate... What we have is a group of teachings that if you were to incorporate them into your life, you'll experience a blessing. Not, not because God suddenly shows up, but because he's showing us how life was meant to be lived. And there's something about following Jesus that sounds simple until others get involved. Until it has to do not just the horizontal, the, hor the vertical relationship, but we add in the horizontal relationship. So last week we started with this commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then Jesus adds to it, love your neighbor as yourself. That is a Father's Day memory in the making right there we all live for <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself and what Jesus does is he brings those two ideas together and fuses them in a way where we cannot separate them again and so Jesus says very clearly if you want to understand the health and the vitality of your faith and your relationship with God, you pay attention to the health and the vitality 
to your relationship to others. And so what we're talking about has everything to do with how you experience life, how you experience faith, and how you look at the world, and most importantly, you see your relationship with God as you go through this world. And so today, we have another one another, where in the New Testament, there's a teaching that I think is so critical that if you would put this teaching into practice, it would radically change your relationships. It, it would radically alter the fundamental, the nature, and the dynamic that's going on. Whatever relationships you find yourself in, whether they're extremely healthy or they're conflicted and they're broken, this dynamic, this principle, this practice that we're going to talk about today has incredible power to reorient your world. Again, not to curry God's favor your direction, but for you just to live the way God designed you to live and by his teaching. If you have your Bible, we're going to start in a book called Galatians. And Galatians is a letter. Galatians is a letter by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to a church that, surprise, surprise, is in conflict. Okay. Now, I know we'd love to think that the church never experiences conflict. But if you've been in a church more than once, you know there's conflict there. In fact, it's often, I'll hear some people say, you know, why can't we just be more like the New Testament church? And my response is, which one? Because you've got to be real careful which one you pick there. Because there's some messed up stuff going on in each of the churches that Paul writes to in the New Testament. But Paul doesn't say give up on church. What Paul says, what he's going to argue for is you live in church, you live in relationship in a certain way. And so in Galatians, in these churches in this area, there's this struggle going on of what's it look like to follow Jesus? What's it look like to live both as a Jewish person and as a follower of Christ? And some people have come in and because they want a certain amount of power, they've been teaching a certain type of thing that says, if you really want to be a Christian, you have to go through Moses. And it is starting to tear this church apart. And so here is Paul's instructions. And I'm going to jump into Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. So with the backdrop of conflict, here's what Paul says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now, that's referring to the law versus do you follow Moses, do you follow Jesus. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, it, that doesn't mean just everything that sounds, it sounds sexual when you say it. He's not talking about just that. He means to indulge everything that you just want. Just You put yourself at the very top of the list, and then you try to go after everything that you want. That's what he means by that. So what's he calling us to? Rather, serve one another. And there's the principle. Serve one another humbly in love. Paul delivers the antidote, the antidote very simply. The answer to your conflicts, the way that you break out of the deadlock you find yourself in, 
is you serve one another humbly in love. And just in case he's not strong enough with that, look at the next sentence that he adds in here. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Now remember, their argument was over how much of the law do you have to keep? What parts of the law do you have to keep? What parts of the law does Jesus require us to keep? And he says, here it is. He sums it up. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And he makes the statement again, the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And pause on that just for a second. Paul is saying, you want to get the law right? You want to get your faith right? Serve one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know what your religious background is for many of you, but I know for some of us, that should feel like a burden just got lifted. Because I'm not saying that's easy to do, but that's a whole lot more clear than you got this checklist and this checklist and this checklist and this checklist and, oh, don't forget this. Love one another. Serve one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he finishes up this way. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Okay, now that's some conflict. And unfortunately, when a lot of people think about church, if they're not part of one, that is exactly what they think about. That's the image that comes to mind. It's a lot of biting and devouring and consuming one another. It's a lot of looking out for number one. I said, I don't need that in my life. Paul says the opposite of that is you serve one another. If you, this makes a lot of sense if you want to put it into a, a marriage category. I, I've worked with marriages that there's biting and devouring going on. I, I've never had a marriage in crisis come to me and go, we just keep serving each other and it's killing us. I've never had a husband complain that says, all she does is take care of me. I've never had a wife complain to say, he keeps making me number one in the world and I just, I'm tired of it. I'm fed up to here with it. But we know what biting and devouring looks like, don't we? Paul says, you want to radically change your relationships, you serve. And then he ties the, the words of Jesus, says, you love your neighbor as yourself. And why does he tie it together? And here's something I want you to write down. Because serving makes love visible. You can talk to me all day long about how you love somebody, but unless there's an action that I can see, it's not visible. Now, I know that it's feelings that cause us to fall in love and get married, but your feelings do not sustain marriages. Never have, never will. Because if you show me a marriage that's gone 60 years and you say it's all based on the feeling of love, there's been no action, that's a lie. That's a myth 
that our culture wants to perpetuate. It has nothing to do with love. But you show me a marriage where they have faithfully served each other. And they've made love visible and tangible. Makes a difference. Why as a parent do we hold on when our kids are in that that kindergarten and that preschool age and first and second grade and they make these crafts, you know, at, at church camp or at school or daycare or whatever. They make these crafts. And the, combined, the, the actual value of the craft is probably about 47 cents. You know, I mean, it's glued together and there may be some dried pasta stuck in there somewhere, but it says, Daddy, I love you. What do we do with that? We, we don't look at it and go, this is it? The, the, why not a gift certificate or something? No, as a dad or as a parent, you grab that and you treasure it. Why? Because suddenly their love for you, even if it's awkwardly expressed, becomes what? Becomes visible. And so suddenly, it's, it's like, hey, uh, this is going up on the refrigerator. I'm taking a picture of it. You know, I'm going to frame it. Because love became visible. When you serve, love becomes visible. Well, we have to ask ourselves, where would Paul get such an idea? Where does Paul get his theology from? So what I want to do in just the last few minutes we've got, I want to take us to the very scripture that Chris read for us earlier. You're going to find it in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in your New Testament. And a gospel is an account of the life and the ministry and the mission, and then the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul, when he came to be a believer in Christ, he spent a decade or more studying Jesus, studying the scriptures and listening to the stories about Jesus. And so all of his theology, the way that he believes that God operates in the world, comes out of what he's learned from the inside of Jesus. And so there's this example that Jesus gives this model for us, this moment in his ministry that's incredibly telling on who Jesus is and how we should be. And so it comes in John 13. And if you know anything about the the gospel of John, first of all, John didn't write in chapters. We came along and added the chapters later. But 13 comes almost in the middle of his gospel. And then from there on out, just recounts the last 24, 48 hours of Jesus' life. And so there's a huge lead up in the Gospel of John to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so anything that happens in this window, this span, is incredibly important. It's critical information for us. And so here's how Jesus, knowing that the cross is coming, here's how he spends his last few moments with his disciples. And they're going to share... In the Passover meal, and this is one of their celebration meals, this, their remembrance meals they had together. So this is an important occasion. And Jesus knows it's even more important because he knows the cross is coming even though they don't know. So in that context, John 13 begins this way. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, watch this. 
Because again, he loved them to the end. Some translations are going to tell you he showed them the full extent of his love. The idea here is both in time and in quantity. That he was consistent with his love all the way through. And he poured all of his love out in this moment. And he showed them. And so what he's about to do is not simply saying that Jesus had feelings for them all the way up to the end. He's about to make love visible. Here's what he does. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Did you see how that began? Do you see what the lead-in was? Let's go back to that very first, that very first slide, verse, verse 3, because this is an important verse. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus has this moment of realization that as he sits at this table with his disciples gathered around, all authority and power has been given to him. He's not only the most important person in the room, or the city, or the country, he is the single most important, powerful person in the universe. And his next move is to grab a towel and some water. At the moment, he's the most powerful person. He grabs a towel and a little dish, a basin of water, and begins moving around the room, washing the disciples' feet. And what you need to know about that culture, since they were a walk-everywhere-you-go culture, on roads that were dusty, dirty, and full of animal dung, that was not a good job to have. But it was always proper for somebody, as you came into the house, for the lowest servant to wash your feet. And nobody in this room had done that yet. Because everybody else felt too far above it. And yet here's Jesus. At the moment he knows that God has given him all the power and the authority in the entire cosmos, goes and grabs a towel and starts to serve making love visible. John finishes the story this way. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, also, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's what I mean by this isn't the requirement 
for you to curry God's favor. This is Jesus saying, if you live life this way, there's a blessing that comes from it. And Jesus says, I just set you an example of how to live. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, then we follow his example. So I'm going to give you a couple of observations from following his example. The first one is this. Jesus knew that all authority and power was under his control, and his very next move was to grab a towel. So here's the first principle that I want you to understand. Serving is a stewardship issue. It is stewarding your leadership, authority, and influence. Serving is a stewardship issue. It's you stewarding your power, your authority, your leverage, your influence. So here's the question that I have for you. Maybe this is the easier way to remember it. What will you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? At some point, you've got the most influence in the room. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're the boss of the organization. Maybe you're the coach of the team. Maybe you're the captain of the team. In whatever the scenario, there comes a point for all of us when we realize, hey, I've got some influence and some leverage here. The question is, what will you do with that? Now, the world tells us, bow up. Jesus says, bow down and serve. What will you do with your influence that you have? The second thing, understand is that Jesus moved around that table. All of his disciples were there, including Judas, the one that Jesus was well aware was going to betray him. Jesus served even his enemies. Jesus served even his enemies. Now, this is fun. You want to catch your enemy off guard? Serve them. Serve them. You want to change the dynamic in a relationship? Serve. Students, you want to make your parents wonder what you're up to? Serve them. It'll confuse them. You you, you want to change your marriage? Serve. You you want to change a church? Serve. Serve. You want to change the relationship with the person that you've been locked in combat with. And words and emails and text messages and gossip and everything else has been exchanged over years. Serve. Because that's the example that Jesus set. And it's the only way that I'm aware of that changes the, the status quo. Because you know you've been locked in some disagreements and some battles for years. And nothing has changed it yet. You may want to give this a try. And the last one's this. Serve out of your blessings, not for a blessing. See, when when Jesus kneels and starts washing feet, he's not hoping for a, wow, Jesus is a great servant. Let's give him an award. It is so tempting for our service to really become a veiled attempt to get your approval of me. 
It's a temptation that I know, and so here's my confession time. It's a temptation for me to want to preach in a certain way that elicits your approval. But if I'm chasing that, then I'm not really serving you, am I? So each of us need to find a place where we serve out of the ways that we've been blessed already. Because God loves me enough to have sent his son to have died for me. And then by that, I have the hope of the resurrected life. Out of that blessing, I can serve. If, if I'm hoping to get a blessing from you, I'm going to give it a, a chance a couple of times. And then when you don't respond in the way that I'm hoping you're going to respond, I'll quit. Because I'm dependent on you providing me something. But if I serve because of the blessing that I've received from my Heavenly Father... And that's an inexhaustible resource. And I can then serve and minister free from needing approval or appreciation. So serve out of your blessings, not for the blessing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus links these two together. And then Paul says, this is how you fulfill the whole law. Serve one another in love. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this is easier to say than live out, but I do pray that each one of us right now, there's something on our hearts that you're doing some kind of business with us right now that calls us to serve. Maybe it's a way that we've been avoiding for a while. Maybe it's in our family, in our household. Maybe it's in our place of business. Maybe it's in our school. Maybe it's on our sports team, Father, that we would find a way to upset the status quo and serve. Father, may we live out the example of Jesus. May we make love visible. Not our love, but your love visible to all who can see. Ask this in the name of Jesus, the one that loved us first and the one that provides all the blessing. Ask this in his name. Amen. If you want to learn how to even start this kind of life, uh, it begins with something we call baptism. And we'd love to talk to you about that. If there's anything that we can be praying for with you about this, we'd love to do that. Uh, we're here and available. The shepherds are going to come down. They're going to stand with me down front. This is a great time as we sing this next song. If you would, let's stand. Let's worship, please. Thank you for listening to this Western Hills podcast. Please visit our website, westernhillsonline.org, to find out more about us.